Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, May 18th, 2017, so we're talking about energy, materials, and industrials. I'm your host, Sean Riley, and joining me in studio is a man who needs no introduction, Mr. Taylor Markerman. What's up, man? Then why are you introducing me? Well, but you don't need one. Oh, well, okay, we'll do it anyway. You're, you're that special and important and cool. Only on this show. Yeah. Yeah. That's you're important international. Yeah. You know. Um, so, uh, you know. What's up? Saudis and Russians. Yeah, they're for... doing it again. Um, Extensions. Yeah, so on today's show, we're, uh, uh, Motley Fool uh, energy contributor Matt Delalo has a very interesting piece on the top of Fool.com right now, and it's what would it take to get oil back to $100 a barrel? Mm-hmm. This is, of course, a question that's been on everybody's mind for, I don't know, two and a half years now. Since the last time it was over $100 yeah. a barrel. Why do you get like <laughs> Um, I appreciate your your resume over <laughs> stating the obvious. Well, some of our listeners might not like think about been how long it's been. Yeah, I mean, this is like November at least of 2014. Um, but uh, first, we got to talk about uh, two parties that desperately wanted oil to be at 100 dollars mm-hmm. a barrel, which is Saudi Arabia and Russia. Yeah. Um, so I guess on uh, what was it Monday of this week then? Um, the OPEC got together in Beijing, China. I, I don't know. Of all I, I, places. I think they were like, oh, we got to see what demand's doing over here. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. Russia, right? de- Russian demand. I mean, Chinese demand has been waning a little bit. So the uh, uh, although on the other hand, I think I've seen um, their actually their domestic production's fallen like eight yeah. percent year over year. So that's not great. But anyway, um, after the meeting, uh, Saudi energy minister energy uh, uh, energy minister Khalid Al Fali said, and his Russian counterpart, Alexander Novak, I'm totally getting that right, I think, um, the two ministers agreed to do whatever it takes to achieve the desired goal of stabilizing the market and reducing commercial oil inventories to their five-year average level. Uh, okay, so they want oil to be, oil higher. inventories to be lower and oil to be or higher. Yeah, the okay. price higher. Yeah, I was, lower, I was like, yeah. wait, what? Oh, oil inventories. Okay. Um, the uh, the Saudi oil in- oil minister added, "We've come to the conclusion that the agreement needs to be extended. Um, oil, of course, popped. I don't know, what was it three and a half? Three point eight percent, I think yeah. it was. Yeah, almost fifty bucks. Um, it, almost it calmed, it calmed down bucks. a little bit throughout yeah. the day. Um, between these two countries alone, um, you're talking about twenty million barrels a day of crude production, mm-hmm. and the planet produces like ninety something. So was it ninety four? Probably right now, ninety three, ninety four. Yeah. I don't um, so this is a little over twenty percent of global global production in that room. Mm-hmm. Never mind the rest of OPEC in there. Um, I'm pretty sure. Correct me if I'm wrong. OPEC's at like forty, forty five percent of total global production. Does that sound? If you add it all together, that's probably yeah. Sounds I'm, about I'm right. including, yeah. of course, yeah. Venezuela and yeah. Um, <laughs> they really want oil up. <laughs> They're trying. I, I had a friend who uh, who asked me what was up with it, and I was like, I mean, your guess is as good as mine, but the Saudis really want that Aramco, Saudi Aramco IPO to go really well in a couple of years. Um, well, yeah, I mean, they're talking like multi, like, what was it, $100 billion or well, a trillion dollars, maybe? I think we might have mentioned it on the show like a month ago, but um, the Saudis want Aramco to be valued at t- $2 trillion. Yeah. And by the way, Apple just crossed the $800 billion mark consistently. So. Yeah, well, Apple's not sitting on a bunch of oil reserves. Uh, <laughs> they got, they're just investing two hundred oh, million dollars yeah. in corning well, the Saudis, glass. The Saudis don't have the iPhone. Yeah, well, and the Apple Car or whatever that is they're doing. They don't have an Apple Car either. 
Yeah. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> um, yeah, they're trying to make the brain for it or whatever. Yeah, Relax. They'll just try. Give, just Tim, give, give Tim Cook some, some leeway. Some leeway. Mm, no, not anymore. Um, and uh, I, I don't know if you saw, but Bloomberg had that piece uh, a month or two ago when I, I think we mentioned this, but um, they're having a hard time justifying the $2 trillion valuation, even if oil got up there. Yeah, well, I mean... The valuation is relying on future cash flows. So, if the demand for oil and production from other places around the world are rising, yeah, cash flows might not be there to justify two trillion. The um, and their I think their evil plan was to uh, sell like ten percent of the company to the public and then raise ergo two hundred billion dollars. And yeah, oh no, look, they, they'd they, have the same amount of cash as Apple. <gasps> yeah, they might spend it more wisely though. Well. On yeah. solar projects, not yeah. just hoarding it and buying back shares. <laughs> you know what Apple does? I, I, they, they actually have a ton of T bills. Buy back shares. Yeah, I know. It's super unimaginative. Like, I think they get three percent, and that's like a. How do they get three percent? They do and T bills, like the thirty, uh, 30 the thirty years. year T bills, yeah. three point four, whatever, right now on a. Twenty. You want me to trust Tim Cook? And that's what he's doing. Two hundred fifty billion dollars right now. What are you supposed to do? I don't know. Invest more than two hundred million dollars in corning. Would, would, do you think they should in Corning? That's what they did. They invested two hundred yeah, million dollars in Corning actually... recently because they make the glass for their iPhones. Yeah, I would be super nervous that they were just after IP. Anyway, we're gonna say this for Dylan tomorrow yeah, way, for the tech show. Pass the baton. Um, but uh, okay, so Saudis want oil up. I mean, all of for them for various not just reasons. Saudis. The Russians do too, which um, is why they agreed to cut until March. Nine more months. I, I'm sure there's a few oil men here in the states that wouldn't mind that either. Nine more months. Um, yeah, they said this is going to go through March next year. I mean, traders are happy. A little volatility. Um, at least there's volatility somewhere in this darn market. <laughs> are you bored? Yeah, a little you bit. You want volatility because you're bored. That's really I'm happy watching Amazon rise 1% or oh more a day. Uh, Every day. Yeah. All the I'm days. cool with that. But uh, yeah, I come in and then I just see a little bit of green, a little bit of red, a little bit of green, a little bit of red. Where's my buying opportunity? You realize Sean? tomorrow. Where are my buying be, opportunities? You realize there's going to be an epic crash tomorrow and it's going to be your fault. I mean, I don't know. We've seen some pretty d- questionable things happening in the Oval Office this week, and volatility hasn't spiked at all. That's true. Maybe it's like uh, just like deer in the headlights kind of a thing. I don't know. Um, anyway, so what would it take, Mr. Muckerman, and uh, you're going to be aided by Mr. Delalo, Matthew Delalo, TMFMD19. Um, he also has a Twitter handle, Matthew Delalo, and it's Matthew with two T's. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a really cool piece on topoffool.com right now. Uh, here's what would need to happen for oil prices to get back to $100 per barrel. Mm-hmm. Um, first reason, we probably need to explain the second one a little bit more, but OPEC overshoots. And yeah. it's, it gets into what we were just talking about. So, is it possible that with the supply cuts and the lack of investment, and their desire to get inventories to their five-year average, um, they overshoot. Because not only do we not have great data on them, which it seems to imply that, like, I wonder how good a data Saudi Arabia has on Venezuela. You know what I mean? I don't know. I feel like, I feel like they probably share quite a bit in the, inside the, the consortium of OPEC countries. I would think it would leak them. But. This is not the White House, Sean. This <sighs> is OPEC. They're tight. They're tight. That's a good they point. Run a, they run a That's tight a ship. Point. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think about that? This is their country at stake. They're not going to leak that kind <laughs> oh, of stuff. Um, are you salty about what's going on? <laughs> no, we, is this, just just being topical. Salt? Just being topical. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's very possible. You, they they obviously didn't think that 
U.S. producers were going to ramp back up this quickly, so they kind of underestimated. So maybe they maybe they have a chance to overestimate their own ability to cut. Um, and maybe yeah, like you said, maybe the underinvestment by other companies around the world catches up to them. I don't know if that'll catch up to us in the next nine months, but uh, it's it's possible for sure. Um, so we we've. I know we've talked about this in the past, and I mean, gosh, we were talking about this one. Um, uh, Tyler Crow is a regular guest. Um, we miss you, Tyler. Come back soon. Actually, I should probably have him on anyway. Anyway, yeah, you should have him on. Um, but uh, the decline, ne- the the decline curve never sleeps. Mm-hmm. Um, really quick for anybody that's new, what the heck is a decline curve? So it's basically, you know, it's the curve of production per an individual well or a collection of wells or whatever. Basically, they have decline curves for each individual well, so you can see the initial production and then production over the time. And generally, shale wells have a steeper decline curve, meaning that um, the average daily production declines more rapidly than a conventional well, like a Saudi Arabian well or offshore offshore yeah. oil. Um, conventional generally has a much flatter decline curve. Got you're it. talking, yeah, you're talking about you know losing. Significant percentages of overall production in a very short amount of time, which is why they've been drilling so much in the shale regions because you got to keep up the production. Yeah, Yeah. Um, the best analogy I've ever heard, and for anybody that ever asked me, like a Mm -hmm. Christmas party or something, um, it's like it's a kiddie pool in the backyard. You know, you got a pool, and when you you're draining it at the end of the day, and you pull the the drain plug on the on the side mm-hmm. it, water comes rushing out at first mm-hmm. and that's like the first couple of days or months or whatever of these these wells yep. and then towards the end when it's not a lot of volume pushing yeah out, you're losing your pressure yeah. it comes out as a trickle and that's mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about here exactly so if you're not investing in new wells if you're not drilling new wells eventually i mean production just runs out eventually and that's mm-hmm. what we're talking about here um this has been a major thing with uh, the CEO of Core Labs, he talks about the decline curve a lot, and they've got a lot of amazing data on. Just They're not talking about their stock price. They're talking no. About oh talking god. About. Uh, <laughs> what do you think about that bear case, by the way? Sidebar. Uh, <laughs> oh, I mean, I definitely agree. The fact that, uh, and I've said it before, that this company's future was relying on off offshore deep water oil, and if that's not happening, then if that's not happening, then a lot of the projections for this company's success over the next five to ten years. Need to be reevaluated, and that was one of the points that was brought up at the right. at the Sone conference: is that deep water isn't doing what they expected. Right, because yeah. that deep water, I mean, even with technology advancements, as I understand it, it needs seventy or eighty for people to be thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, those, seventy those, or eighty dollars per barrel. Those rigs cost a lot of money. The day rates, uh, the staffing, um, the risk, the, the risk. hassle. Yeah, I mean, exactly. you're going, you know, three thousand feet underneath the. Surface of the ocean before you even start to. Drive. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. it, it does sound like a bit of a pain, um, but uh, so this this has been a major bull case put forth by uh, the Core Lab CEO. Um, the uh, the report that Delalo cites uh, notes that the industry needs to develop 2.8 million barrels of new production capacity per day just to offset declining and depleting legacy output, which isn't something shale alone can handle at current oil prices. And uh, this goes on to say that that actually needs to happen by the end of the decade. Mm-hmm. So they, whoever, Saudi Arabia, us, Venezuela, China, whoever, Needs to go find 2.8 million barrels of daily oil production at some point in the next couple of years. Otherwise, there's going to be a supply shortage 
by the end of the decade, I guess. I don't know if they need to. I, I think they already have it found. It just needs to be justified to drill it. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you think they know where it is? Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I've, uh, Venezuela then you get into has the, the largest. Stuff you were just yeah. Venezuela about. has the largest oil reserves of any country in the world, but they can't produce it because they can't produce it at the right price. Right. So okay. once they can, then then that oil will be there. It just depends on if the price justifies being able to produce it. Got it. Um, so this is. I mean, this is always a problem with oil, but uh, wars. Yeah. That's number three. Number three, wars, wars and rumors of wars. I mean, we've had a few of those recently. Nothing. Hasn't done much to the price of oil. Nothing. Kind of like it was back with the Arab Spring when prices were sky high. They were too high to, to they were too high to react to uprisings in the Middle East. Now they're too low because production is capable of producing at prices like this. So the prices aren't wavering on on possible news out of Syria or a nuclear war with North Korea or anything of that nature. So, um, I'm going to play devil's advocate, okay. if I may. Yeah. Um, we, we've gotten little hints of what might happen if some... Because we've definitely had some conflict. It's mostly cold conflict or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got a hint a couple of months ago of what might happen if something really bad happens in a reasonably large producer. And I'm, of course, referring to the uh, the Libyan oil field outage. Mm-hmm. Um, that was their their pipeline, I think, was actually in jeopardy. The, the field was still producing, but if you can't move it, then what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, but that was 300,000 barrels a day of oil production. And that, I mean, that's what actually, oil was higher after that than it is now after the Saudis and the Russians saying, we want we, we want to cut production more. Well, that was like, I mean, that 300 thousand barrels is like around a quarter of what OPEC and Russia have been cutting so that's a pretty decent amount yeah, yeah. and uh, so it'd be like another quarter or third or whatever yeah. um, so I just I would wonder what happens if uh, a bigger producer has a problem I don't want to I don't want to even think about that conjecture? Right now. yeah yeah okay. I mean it would be bad well, that's what he's saying yeah, we don't no, know and it could be definitely bad. possible um, hopefully we're not involved dun dun, dun. Um, oh wow! I didn't know this. He cites uh, with us uh, through the Persian Gulf, mm-hmm. um, seventeen million barrels of oil throw the, flow through the Strait of Hormuz each day. Yeah, that's that's a critical choke point. That's, Seven, that's no joke. That's that's there's actually a, that's twenty percent of global demand. There's a similar there's strait in the South China Sea, I believe. Which, if you look at both of those, there's pretty heavily it, it could be bad uh, fortified yeah. naval. Presences by multiple different countries in all of these areas. So, oh joy! Isn't the Strait of Hormuz? Isn't that right around Iran? Or well, Iran? I think it's next to Egypt. Like it goes through. Mm-hmm. Here, let's. let's We're do both it. googling it. Who can Google it faster? I just Google. Oh, I got it. You got it. Am I right? Yeah. No, it's uh. Oh man. Is it next to Yemen? My map is coming up in uh, a foreign language. Oh yeah, it's up there. Oh, Iran, you know what yeah. it is? It's, it's Iran. And United, yeah, it's UAE between. It's, and it's Oman. Yeah. yeah. So what was I thinking of? You're thinking of. Oh, the Suez Canal. Yeah. My nope. bad. It's okay. That's also somewhat important, it's actually. Fair. Yeah, that is, but not not <laughs> as important uh, in terms of oil as uh, as the Strait of Hormuz is. So um, a lot going on there. Now, uh, this last one, uh, actually, no, it's the second to the last one. Um, 
the next point is the wrath wrath of God, wrath of nature. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a bit of that when uh, back in two thousand five when a Katrina hit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean that hit Louisiana and South Texas and Houston, and that's mm-hmm. somewhat of a problem because that's where all of our hubs are. Yeah, I think that when you think about that, it might impact refining a little bit more. So mm-hmm. then that could drive the prices up because they have to shut down refining facilities. So then there's a backlog of um, when they come back online, they're going to need. So gasoline prices would then go up, which would incentivize oil prices to go up to refine it somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, well, to go. Yeah, and then they have to catch up to production. And, yeah. uh, once once the refineries come back online. Um, so I think that would generally, or hurricane that, I think generally hurts the refiners a little bit more. But yeah, this is a cool statistic. So uh, Katrina, when it hit it in 2005, it knocked out 95 percent of the oil production in the Gulf of Mexico, uh-huh. and at the time, it supplied 1.5 million barrels per day, which was. Thirty uh, percent America's oil production back then. It's obviously lower now. Huh, we were only producing <laughs> four and a half million <laughs> barrels of oil <laughs> a day back then. Um, but it, uh, no, you know, what if something that. bad happens? You know, act of God, earthquake, something crazy yeah. somewhere else that produces a couple million barrels per day. I mean, that's it could have an impact. Hard, hard to tell how much uh, now that we're producing oil in a bit more of a widespread nature. But yeah, certainly other areas of the globe. Um, if you had another nuclear disaster somewhere, people might rely more on oil or natural gas for, for energy. Um, yeah, certainly anything's possible there, but I think that one's just too hard to predict. Um, well, so is this last one, which drumroll please. Da 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 da. Uh, this Mattelal says the sleeping dragon of demand awakes. Um, it's. Most people don't know this, but uh, demand for oil globally is up 1.3 million barrels in 2017 over 2016. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it, it it does make you wonder what happens if, uh, I don't know, economic growth in India just goes up a bunch next year or something. Yeah, a billion people. More a lot of people. A billion people. Um, what is that, like three times more people than we have? Tesla's down there. I don't think they do. No. Dang. But... I'm sure, like, if they have infrastructure, then electric cars can't be too far behind. Yeah. Um, all right. So, out of all of those, I would say put, yeah, OPEC put, overshooting or a war. You like those? Would be the top two that I would be worried about. I'll buy that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wrath of nature could, but you recover more after unpredict- a month. More yeah. unpredictable. Um, the decline curves. Yeah, that's definitely a worry, but um, I think we have enough wells in the United States and worldwide to, to overcome that uh, if prices creep up into the 60s or $70 barrel range. We'll, we'll find those extra 3 million barrels that we would need uh-huh. uh, at the prices that would warrant it before it. it crept up to 100. I think it would take a combination of, of two or three of these five within a short amount of time to really ramp back up to $100 a barrel. Epic. Because if everyone will produce at a hundred dollars a barrel, I mean, yeah, everyone. Heck, I would. I'd like go buy property and like get a drill and everyone. <laughs> yeah, and this isn't like okay. So in America, we're producing as much as we can produce right now. Yeah, OPEC and Russia, uh, they're producing. They're just hanging. Not out. as much. Yeah. So the moment that prices justify it, that one point two million dollar decline in their production could be turned on in such a short amount of time. Compared to people having to go out and drill to right. find this oil, that I don't think prices that's are going to go back to more or less. Yeah, very, very much so. Relatively instantaneous. Right. Yeah. Cool. 
Uh, well, thank you for your thoughts, Mr. Markerman. Yeah. We'll see you next thank week. Thank you, Matt Delalo, for your thoughts as well. We, we love you, Inspiring this show. Yeah. Uh, and that is it for us, folks. Be sure and tune in tomorrow for the Technology Show with Dylan Lewis. If you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Once again, that's industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people in this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool might have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear in this program. For Taylor Markerman, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on.